FDIC is one of the biggest fire conferences and well it actually is the biggest fire conference in the world and every year I'm, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to teach there and this last year I noticed there's a there's a, a big line going into my room and there's a big line going into the room next to me and I'm like well I wonder who's teaching over there I mean this guy's really drawing some people over there and I, I saw a lot of people would come up to me and said yeah we wanted to get into one of these two rooms so I go over and I peek in and I look at the sign next to the door and it's Mike Galliano and Mike Dugan doing a class called This House Rocks about creating an environment where everybody wants to work. And I thought, what a great topic that is. And I know both these guys really well and I've listened to them both speak before. They're both dynamic. They're fantastic. Mike Galliano's from out in Seattle. He's a Ladder 5, Station 31 captain. And then Mike Dugan, who's, you know, I, I, you know he's just one of those legendary guys from FDNY. Uh, that 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 teaches just a tremendous class and and I thought I wish I wasn't teaching right now because I just want to get in line and go sit in their class too. I didn't catch it that time, but I caught it another time, and it really is a great class. And I thought, and this is something I think you'd agree with me. This is a topic that that this is the right time for this topic. Absolutely right, creating that environment that everybody wants to work in. Because I mean, I I think that the best employees uh, are the people that come to work happy. And it's not all about, hey, let's just make people happy. It's about making people productive, but creating an environment where people want to work. And we're lucky enough to have him on a podcast today. Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast, featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Mike Galliano, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, man, this is awesome. Bro, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Okay. You know, I feel like you could have reached a little higher on the shelf and got somebody else, but you know, I'll I'll fill in. Listen, anybody that has all those cool signed guitars behind them is pretty high on my shelf. Now, who do you have there? You have ACDC, <laughs> Aerosmith. Who else is up there? ACDC, The Stones, original members of Van Halen, and all the members of Aerosmith. That's amazing. That's, yeah, that's the stuff right there, baby. They're that, making music like that anymore, bro. They're not making music like that anymore. No, I have to agree with you on that. But, but well, and when that's what's pretty cool about. I mean, you're obviously into rock. I, I watched last year. I was watching you on, on um, social media. Go to all these amazing shows and backstage with, uh, with everybody. Uh, you know, taking photos with Kiss, with whoever it was. I don't. I don't even want to start mentioning it. Alice Cooper. And I'm thinking, man, he is having the time of his life. And, and, you know, I'm sitting in my house watching you have the time of your life thinking, man, this guy rocks. And then I find out about Mike Galliano's <laughs> class, This House Rocks, which is why I wanted you to come on the podcast, because this is a really cool and I think a very timely topic. This House Rocks, the place everybody wants to work and how to create this awesome environment. How'd you come up or, or why did you come up with this particular idea? Well, I think that's a cool story in and of itself, and one that I hope weaves itself through our conversation. 
Um, you know my good friend Mike Dugan from FDNY, mm-hmm. storied truckman, you know. Um, Mike and I crossed paths multiple times as we were teaching at various places. And, you know, Mike was doing truck work and all the stuff he does. And I was doing air management, fire tactics and all the stuff I do. And we both figured out that we were doing some leadership training. And uh, I don't know, you know, sitting where you are, you know, I'm assuming you're sitting somewhere in Jersey right now. And I'm, you know, on the balmy shores of Lake Martha, which is about an hour north of Seattle. Long distance between us. Yeah. And there's a big, big cultural difference between our towns, you know, very those are very different towns, Seattle and, and New York City and, you know, where, where you're from in Jersey, very different, um, different parts of the country, even in some respects, different sizes of departments, because FDNY is this monolith, mm-hmm. you know, biggest department in the nation. Seattle's a decent sized department for sure, you know, and what we found, Frank, and probably pretty similar to what you found as you've gone out and taught everywhere, as we talked about the things that we wanted to emphasize to our classes to make a great firehouse because that's what we were talking about as, as career firefighters and company officers, both he and I are 30 plus year captains still in ops. All of my time has been in ops. Uh, Mike's time was in ops. We've been on an engine or a truck going to fires, going to emergencies our entire career. And I'm hoping God willing, I'm hoping if my body will hang on that that's the way I get to finish out, you know, that my last tour will be on a truck somewhere going and help helping people, and then I'll hang them up. Mm. Um, What we found is we talked about what we would like our firehouse to be like, the firehouses that we worked at that were awesome. And we both had those experiences of a firehouse that was just kicking butt, and it was a great place to go to work, and and things were getting done, and the runs were were well executed, and the time in the firehouse was great. Didn't matter if we were in Seattle, FDNY, in Harlem, in Greenwood, downtown Seattle, downtown Manhattan, make a dime's worth of difference. The stuff that worked in his firehouse was exactly what worked in my firehouse. And conversely, the things that jam you up and get you off the path and off of your calling were the same in my firehouse as they were in his. And so we combined efforts and we figured, you know, there's so much of this back and forth about what part of the country you're from and how big your department is and all this other nonsense that doesn't mean a darn thing when the bell hits. Uh, We decided to combine efforts and show that East, West, Middle, South, Florida, Cali, Alaska, wherever you go. There's a group of core principles that if you pay attention to this stuff, you have a chance to have an outstanding time at the place you work. And, you know, for your listeners, I would just say to you, you're going to be there, right? Mm. You're going to go there for 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever. It might as well be awesome. And so uh, that's that's kind of what got us going down the road. And everybody knows I think everybody in the firehouse, everybody who's worn our badge, who's a firefighter, would know what I mean when I say this house rocks. They know what that means. And that's what we tried to convey. No doubt. I agree with you. And, you know, it's an interesting thing you said, you being in Seattle. I came out and I, and I taught in Seattle at your department. And it's an interesting thing that if you teach tactics on the East Coast and the West Coast, sometimes it does not translate well. But if you're talking about leadership, team building principles, um, this house rocks, how to create an environment people want to work in. Those things, they'll think you work for their department when you talk about some of the good and the bad stories because people are the same yeah. everywhere. Would you have say you had that experience too? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Um, in fact, I, I've been asked to te- teach tactics multiple times, and I pretty much won't do it 
just because tactics is such a local thing. It so much depends on how many guys you have, what equipment you use, the philosophy of the department. Um, you know, I, tactics in my department are different than the tactics in the town that's just down the street from me. Yeah. You know, in fact, I often joke sometimes the tactics in my end of the city are different than the ones that are going on in the south end of the city of my own department. You know, so, yeah. so tactics, I, you know, tactics is fun to talk about. I like decision making a little bit more when you talk fires. Leadership, the names change, the acts changes some of the some of the variables and the nuances of the stories change but the majority of them are very much the same and the encouraging thing about that for the folks that are listening to this and that are into the vibe of this podcast and what you're trying to accomplish the awesome thing is if we can have it in my firehouse you can have it in your firehouse there is absolutely nothing special about us um, it's just what you decide to feature and what you decide to make the priorities and you touched on what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast. I'm quite sure with having someone like you on, we have a lot of people that may be tuning in for the first time. And so uh, let me just explain what we are trying to accomplish. We don't get deep into tactics on this, on this podcast. Matter of fact, many, and it, and you know this, Mike, but we have professional athletes. We have people high up in the army. We have business leaders. We have people that have achieved success in all different areas. Um, come on this podcast just to talk about success principles, about what inspires them, how they stay motivated. Uh, we talk about leadership. We talk about team development. We talk about, you know, just in general, creating a great environment. And let's let's get into into your class and, and, and what you and Mike do talk about, which is uh, how to distinguish your firehouse to be that place that everybody wants to work at compared to the place nobody wants to go. What are some of those distinguishing characteristics? Well, the first thing we try to do, um, you know, you have to, I hate giving anything a set number of things that you look at because, you know, there could be 20 things, yes. but you got to narrow it down somewhere. Right. And you gotta, you have to make this, this difficult process manageable. Um, our belief is that there, there's kind of five key areas to look at. But before we talk about those, we always spend a little bit of time at the front end of the class talking about what your vision is. And we really try to force the students to put some words to it. It's like, what do you want? What, what do you want to be true? What do you want when you walk through those doors, when, when you leave your family, who most of us don't want to leave, and you drive for a lot of us, you know, you drive the hour or two hours it takes to get to work, whatever it is, and you're up at O-Dark 30, but now you're you're at the firehouse and you walk through your doors. What would you like to be true on the other side of that? And I think you got to go through that in your mind. It can't just be this nebulous thing of, well, you know, you know what I want. No, I don't. I, you know, tell me what you want. You know, if Bob Burns was on here and he'd be another guy that I would really encourage you to, to bring on the podcast, Bob Burns from FDNY, uh, he will say in his class, you know, you got to be the Spice Girls. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Um, so we make them go through that. And we talk about vision in this context, and I hope it makes sense, you know, doing it in an audio format. The problem with a lot of vision that is cast by, by fire service leaders is vision is talking about what's out there. It's, it's where we want to get, right? It's this thing that's out there, and we want to achieve this, and we want to be, be this, and that's all fine. And the reason most of those fail is because vision isn't just about where you want to get to. We tell them, and, and we believe it very firmly vision involves, you know, where, where have you been? What's your history? 
What, what has come before and what sacrifices were made so that you can have what you have? What did the great men and women upon whose shoulders you stand, what did they give up and what did they invest in this firehouse and in you so that you could be in this place that you now call home, whatever it is, station 2, 10, 15, 20, whatever, wherever you folks work. By acknowledging the history and knowing the history and recognizing the price that has been paid, uh, I just believe that it sets you up for a, a real feeling of gratitude in recognizing so much has been done, invested in you, so that you could be where you are. And I think that helps you not only decide what you want to be, but it also helps you in the tough times because not, not everything's going to be perfect. Hmm. And trust me on this. Go to try to make a change in your firehouse. You're going to meet resistance. Bank on it. You know, I can't tell you much that's going to be true, but I can tell you that's going to be true. You're going to meet resistance. So it's where you've been. And I also think vision is also an honest re- look at where you are. What's true now? You know, what, what do we have available to us? Who do we have? What resources do we have? Who are the people that are here? Um, what are the simmering issues that are going on? What are we doing well? What are we doing poorly? And after you've got that stuff sorted out, now you can start to look at, I think, authentically, okay, here's what's been laid out before us. Here's our history. Here's what. Here's how we're recognized. Here's where we are right now in the job that we're doing, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now we can look at authentically, where would we like to take this baby, given what we know right now? And I think vision has a much better chance, once you put some flesh and bones to it, of actually being able to be put into operation. Then we can talk about the nuts and bolts. Then right. we can talk about, you know, the, the the stuff that we'll talk about, trust and teamwork and all this other stuff that you read about in most every book you have. But until you, I think, get some sense of where you want it to be and what you would like it to look like, those things remain kind of buzzwords. When you decide, you know, and, and people say all kinds of things, Frank. Say, well, what would you like to be true? Well, when I walk through the door, I would like to know that I'm with a group of people that want to get the job done. And everybody in the class would say what? Amen. So would I. Okay, awesome. What else would you like to be true? After about five to 10 to 15 people say some things that they want to be true, you start to see heads nodding. And typically you start to get to, okay, is there a whole lot of difference in the things that you've heard? You know, every once in a while we get an outlier, you know, every once in a while there'll be the knucklehead that'll say, hey, I want to come to work and I don't want to be bothered for 24 hours. Like, yeah, all right. They well, want they want to get rest from their other full time job. Maybe gym. you're in the wrong class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, and but that's that's, that's that, how we start out, Frank. That's that's awesome, and I like where you were going with that earlier. You're talking about we a lot. This isn't something that you, as a leader of a shift, want to dictate. This is something that you want to get participation in. You want to ask them, what do you want to be known for? Um, you know, how do you want to feel when you come to work? And you're getting feedback from them, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I don't mean to veer off topic, but if you want a tip as a new company officer, here would be one of the the tips that I would give you that I believe is pure gold. When you show up, wherever you're going to show up to take a new job, whether, you know, for a lot of you, you're going to be new officers and you're going to be going into a place that's already established. I would strongly encourage you. And it goes just in line with what you just described, Frank, of getting people on board. I'd never sit down with the troops and give them my expectations right off the bat. They're going to get those because that is critical. When I sit down with that conversation, my, for, for every officer position that I have fulfilled in Seattle Fire, my little opening speech has started with, I am here to earn my spot. Mm. And I'm the boss, right? 
I'm the boss in, in a lot of them anyway, not every spot I've been, but certainly the one I'm at now, I was the senior man by a lot of years. I am here just like you did to earn my spot, and I want to hear from you what it is that you expect of your leadership. And I let them spend as much time as they want telling me what's important to them. And here's what you get from that that I think is absolutely crucial. Number one, about 80% of what they say is stuff you were going to say anyway. Mm-hmm. True. Because they want, you know, you want a lot of the same stuff, right? The nice thing is they got to say it. You didn't have to tell them that this is the way I want it to be. So when you come back and then you say the, the three or four or eight things that they didn't say that are important to you, you can come back and say, and I like you, I, I agree with you, I'm on board, I would like to do da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think it gives respect. I think it shows that you acknowledge that you're not some big new sheriff in town that's come to change the world, that there's good stuff happening in this place long before you got there. There was good stuff happening. There'll be good stuff happening long after you leave. But I think it allows you to set a, a framework and a foundation to now be able to get to the two or three or four things that are really personally important to you. And I think you have a shot at getting them done because you brought them into the mix. Probably one of the best uh, meetings that I've ever had with my team was to sit down with them and ask them these questions. What do you think we do really well we need to keep doing? What do you think we're not doing well at all that we need to stop doing because we're getting a bad result? And what do you think we aren't doing at all that we need to start doing? And then I just let them talk. And as they spoke, you're right. They started saying a lot of the things that I was going to say anyway, but it's coming from them. And then after that, when we made this list of keep, stop, and start, then we moved into okay, where do we go from here? And we came up with some ideas that we thought could make us more effective. And I've never had an easier time in my life getting buy-in from the members that I work with than after that meeting for that simple fact that it was their ideas that we were implementing. So I agree with you on that. You say something in your class, I wrote this down, about decisions. The great thing about most decisions in the firehouse is that you don't have to make them all by yourself. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I lost you for just a little bit there. I lost you. So I have you back now. Well, well like, welcome back. I was, leave, I was just you... talking about how I couldn't, I can't believe you quoted the Spice Girls earlier. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that. That was, uh, that was Bob Burns. Uh, yeah. I put, but I it came from you on, on this podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, no, I was just saying how one of the uh, most effective meetings I've ever had with my team was when uh, we spoke about what we, what we need to keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. And they provided a lot of ideas and a lot of feedback and we implemented their ideas. And it was easy to move forward because again, it was their ideas we were implementing. Yeah. Well, that's because you're a good leader. I mean, and I'm sure you've come to that over the many years of trial and error and making mistakes, just like it's like I've made plenty of those as a leader, you know. Yeah. Um we we have a I think I heard you say right when you kick back in. Uh, the great thing about most decisions in the firehouse is that you don't have to make them. Right. The majority of them. And I'll tell you, this is a foreign concept to a lot, a lot of leaders. And it's very sad that that's the case. But I listen, I'm not just blowing smoke when I tell you in my firehouse. Look, I'm the station captain. I'm responsible. When the, when the rubber meets the road and things go wrong at the firehouse, I am the umbrella that stands over those troops. And I end up usually eating whatever dis discipline or whatever comes down for that firehouse. I'm responsible when all is said and done. Uh, but I'm telling you, the decisions that are made in the firehouse, particularly the things that, per, that affect the members of that firehouse, 
majority of them. I'm one vote. Yeah. Majority of them. Now listen, I always, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not abdicating responsibility. I always maintain the final vote. Mm-hmm. And if I don't like what's happening, and if what's happening isn't fair or it doesn't meet with department standards, I always have the right to say we ain't doing that. But I, you know, that that veto in the seven plus years I've been at 31s, I've maybe a couple times I've had to step in and say we're not doing that. Um, I want the men and women of the firehouse, if there's something that is impacting them, I want them to feel like they have a say in it. And for the majority of the things, I let them decide. And, and I think this is really important, especially when the things only affect a certain amount of the house. And, the, you know, the best way I can tell you this is with an example. We're staffed heavy on my truck. We have one extra body than what we need. And so if we're all there, every, every Everybody's there. Nobody's on vacation. Nobody's hurt, sick, any of that stuff. We have to send one guy out, detail them to some other place in the, in the department. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates that. I hated that. I remember when I was a firefighter, I hated that. And one house I was in, we were too heavy. So we were getting detailed all the time. I remember hating that. Well, I have to have a detail policy so that when this comes up, it's no question whose turn it is to go out. Mm-hmm. Who decides what that policy is? Now, I'm responsible for it, but it doesn't affect me. I don't detail the officer stays. It doesn't affect the driver and it doesn't affect the tillerman. Those positions are solid. It only affects the three, four guys that are on the turntable of the truck or on the, the tailboard of the engine. Who decides the transfer policy? The guys that are affected, right? If if you I'm, lead, if you lead like you do, I believe those people are just, I mean, this is straight out of the book. It's your ship. You know, let the people who are yeah. most affected make decisions that affect them. Again, because it's going to be easier to get buy-in, but they know what's best for them in that particular situation. Well, and here's the way it plays out in practical terms. It's no great, you know, this is no great uh, epiphany for anybody, but I know a lot of fire leaders that are uncomfortable allowing this to happen for whatever reason. I let the guys decide the uh, transfer policy. Here's my parameters. We can't take we can't take all year. We got two weeks. There's a there's a representative from each platoon. Mm-hmm. The guys that are impacted get to make the call. You got two weeks. Give me a transfer policy that I can live with and that is fair. If I get it in two weeks, we'll do that. If we don't, I have a policy that I, that I like. We'll do that. Guess what I have in two weeks? Yeah. I got a policy that all four platoons have signed off on, and it's one now that they own. So when it pops up and it's a guy's turn to go, he says, man, I don't want to go. I'm like, here's the policy you created. Yeah. And it says it's your turn. Well, I have no hassles. I have no. And, you know, again, I when we teach in class, we talk, we let the we let the people talk about, you know, what do you get when you give members some ownership and some decisions? And you'll get all the stuff that you would expect. You get buy in, you get, you know, the differing experiences mm-hmm. of the members and they bring that wisdom. You get the checks and balances that come. You get different perspectives. You know, the, the most important thing is they feel like they are a part of a fire house. Mm-hmm. Not a place they come to work, but a house where you're an integral part, an integral member, and what you say matters. And I think in a place that kicks butt, that's crucial. And also, you're showing them that you value them and that you trust their decision-making capabilities. And that can carry on to the fire ground. Because you have another quote, my enemy is the fire, not other firefighters. And when we had Colonel Felty on here from the U.S. Army, uh, he said it differently. He said, fight the enemy, not the plan. If we're going to work together, we don't want to be having these, uh, you know, these little 
challenges that we're having throughout the fire station that we're not solving that are causing problems. And now every time people come to work, they don't want to come to work because, uh, you know, because it, because it's unfair. And, and you talked earlier about establishing trust. Let's talk about that for a minute. What are some of the things you do or that you believe in on how to establish trust? Okay. Well, so, you know, the first thing, you know, when you talk about trust, there's whole books written about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got uh, Covey's kid did a really nice book on it called the speed of trust there. When we talk about it and what we can talk about in this podcast, you're really just scratching the surface. Right. Um, and I just would encourage you that are listening, scratch the surface, man, start. Don't be so overwhelmed by the big body of knowledge out there and this big daunting task that, that it is to try to figure out, oh, what are all the things that go into trust? You got to start. And I would just encourage you to start in some very simple, um, easy, easy to remember places, but they give you a tremendous bang for your buck. And then by all means, dig in, burrow down, mind the, you know, the, the mini the wisdom literature that's out there, all the different books, you know, Frank, you've got terrific books on leadership. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things you can learn, but you've got to start. Don't let, you know, being perfect at trust destroy, just start to get good at it and start to see some of the wonders and the benefits that come from trust, which is absolutely crucial and critical. Um, for me, uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's a couple, two things that jump out at me that have, have, just become the most important things in the world for leadership. One is that I know you care about me. Hmm. You care about me. And of course, in this context, you care about if you want to lead me, if you want to be a battalion chief or whatever, if if you want five seconds of my time that's serious, I have to know that you care about me and you care about the firehouse. If you don't, if you're you're more concerned about, about how we fit into the cogs of your little machine, if you're more concerned about being using us as a stepping stone for what your next thing is. And that's obvious. Um, you just, you know, I'll be polite. I'll be respectful. I'll do my duty as an officer. You get zero part of my heart. Mm. Now, if you capture my heart, you get something really, really awesome. Cause I got good stuff. I got good talents. I got good skills. I've worked hard to be good. If you capture my heart, you get some incredible stuff out of me. So, you know, we, we describe it as you, you have to care more about others or about the team then you care about yourself. And the cool thing is if you do that, if you care about your members and your team and you, you take care of them and you invest in them, and we like to describe it as if you will commit to seeing that your firefighters get to live their dreams, your stuff is going to be taken care of like you can't imagine. The things that are important to you, the goals that you have. I mean, uh, how much how much more awesome does a chief look? If your goal is to go higher as a as a an officer or a chief or whatever your industry is, how awesome does your resume look if you are leading a group of people that are killing it and they're killing it and they trust you and they want to follow you, follow you, uh, you know, lots of things I could say to describe it, but I think you get it. The second thing is competence. You've got to be good in the, in the fire service. I am sorry, you know, and, and this probably translates to most of the fields that you'll be talking to Frank, the athletics and things like that. If you're not competent, there's just it's impossible to trust you. You got to know your job. You got to be good at it. You got to demonstrate you're a student of the game. And if you're not willing to do that, respectfully, you need to quit. Mm. You got to quit and and don't hurt somebody. Don't hurt somebody. Don't hurt yourself. Go find something where competence and uh, a, a a a strong technical proficiency in the craft is a mandate. And in and in this field, in the fire service, it is a mandate. And I have I have uh, people in my sphere 
Frank, firefighters in my sphere, officers, chiefs. I like them a lot. They're they're good guys. Um, I have them in my house. You know, go to church, break bread. You know, we go see a rock show. Don't want them anywhere around the fire ground because they they are not competent in their profession. It has nothing to do with being nice or being cool or being um, friendly or any of those things. If you're not competent, it is virtually impossible to trust you. You know, one of the things you said is you care more about others than you do yourself. This is something that I think is unique about you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, and I don't know if you're okay with me telling this story. If not, we'll cut it out of the podcast. But when I was out in Seattle teaching, you came up to me during a break, and you told me about one of your lieutenants and said that, um, listen, I'd like you to do me a favor, and you wanted me to give him a copy of Step Up and Lead. Let him know that it's because... I have been told he's one of the finest officers that the organization's ever had. Now, being from New Jersey, I thought this is a risky thing because you wanted to do this in session. So, so basically, you know, he's getting secondhand praise in front of your organization. Yet when I asked that officer to stand up and I gave him a copy of the book, he did not expect the compliment. And he never knew who it came from, by the way. It originally came from you being the one that told me about him. He didn't expect a compliment. I didn't expect what happened next. I mean... Everybody, uh, you know, clapped and, and showed their appreciation for him for the work that he's been doing. And I thought there's a lot of things about that moment that were special. Number one is this. I've often said this. The majority of the problems you will have as a leader are, are a direct result of poor or ineffective people skills. You have tremendous people skills. But also, people have to know you care. You obviously care to want to give people that moment. It's not about you. You're real good at at letting other people know what value they bring to the team and wanting them to have uh, moments that are special. And I appreciate that a lot about you because there's not a lot of people out there. A lot of people in leadership positions, they make decisions based off fear, greed, or ego. You make decisions based off, in my, from what I've seen, what's good for the community, what's good for the team, and then what's good for you. And, and there's something really uh, special about that. Uh, but when I was out there and I experienced that one moment, where you wanted to give an, that other person a moment to shine without, uh, without being a part of that moment. I thought, yeah, that's what makes you unique, Mike. And I hope you're okay with me sharing that story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it in that context, but I, uh, I guess the, the thing I can tell you is the, the lieutenant, James Curtis, you saw everybody applauded. Yes. There's a reason for that. Dude's a rock star. And uh, I feel like... Uh, you know, in this profession, for the most part, the true rock stars get very little acclaim. They just don't. And any place that we can get them, the credit that they're due, especially for people like that that are not looking for it. I think, like you said, he was floored. He was floored. He, he had no back. clue it was coming. And, I still no, remember no his face. Coming. I'm sorry. I still remember yeah. the look on his face when I did it. He did not expect that compliment. And it's because it's a guy who gives his all cares about people as much as anybody I've ever known, is as competent as anybody you will ever meet in his in his craft and doesn't expect boo. He's not expecting it. And, you know, and again, I thought was pretty humble in in accepting it, even though he was embarrassed. So, you know, and kudos to you, too. I mean, you, bro, you made it happen, you know. Mm. And you know what? The, the thing that I thought was, you know, the, the really cool moment for me, I was thinking about both of you when it was going down. I know that it took you a lot of blood sweat and tears to put that book together yeah. you know you poured your heart and soul your life into that book not knowing how it would be received right right james curtis 
was why you wrote that book. Mm. That was the guy that you were writing that book to reach and to help and to inspire and to see him get it from you, signed by you. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was a better moment for me than it was for anybody. I was, you know, I was good. I I think that that was a good moment for a lot of people. I mean, I I know that I I took something away from that. I talk about that quite often because I talk about, you know, one of the ways to inspire your team is to provide uh, recognition. I mean, it's one of the primary reasons why people work. It's not just about money and security. It's also about recognition. And everybody could use a pat on the back now and then. One of the things you talk about in this class, and I should mention that you're working on a book with Mike Dugan on this topic as well. And, and when that comes out, you know, I'm going to do my job to help promote that because this is, uh, this is something it. people need. But you talk about teamwork and you, you talk a little bit about how talent, it's going gonna, it's gonna to find a way. Talent's going to find a way uh, to be utilized. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, you know, not to oversell it, but you think about the type of men and women that are drawn to our career. And you've got a pretty dynamic group of people. A lot of them have had great success in their prior lives. They've done, you know, you just think about it. Think about the, think about eight or 10 people that are in your current sphere right now and the things that they've accomplished. Many of them were athletes. They were in the military. They were in special forces units. They were successful business people. Um, a lot of people now just incredible educational, you know, accomplishments. I, I have to laugh. You know, I was in a, I was in a fire engine. This has been about 10 years ago, but I was in a fire engine with three young guys and, you know, sitting around, I'm in, I'm in the, in the officer's chair. The driver has a master's degree. The guy in the back was working on his master's degree and the other guy had a bachelor's degree. And I, you know, I looked around and I said, Hey, the world is, the world is all right. The dumbest guy in the rig is in charge, you know? (laughs) So we got we got all these smart, talented, capable, incredible people. And uh, why in the world, if you're going to bring that group of people together and keep in mind, always keep in mind the mission that we're being asked to take care of. Our mission, when you break it down, is to come into the middle of people's single worst day of their lives and try to bring some reason, sanity and answers to that terrible day. Everything's gone wrong in their world. They can't fix it. Mm. And they've asked us to come in and try to repair that, to try to do the best we can to bring some answers. Why in the world, if you have all these incredible, amazing, talented people, wouldn't you want to utilize the ta- the, the talents and the experiences of those people to make that day awesome? Right. To me, that that really is essentially what teamwork is. And as you said, you laughed about it when you said it. They have all this Talent, experience, energy, drive, guts, determination, and that is going to find some way to manifest itself. Yeah. It can either be towards your goals, or I promise you, they'll find a way to pull you away from your goals and do things that are going to tear the firehouse down. You know, that energy is going to find an outlet, I promise you. just depends on how you channel it. It will. I think one of the best things we can do is find out what talent, skills, abilities, what knowledge people have around us, put them in the right lane, and then get out of their way. Let them do their job. Let them let them uh, work on their strengths. And I've said this over and over and over again. If you are the most talented person on your team, if you're the smartest person on your team, if you're the most ambitious person on your team, the one that accomplishes the most, you probably have a weak team. I want people around me that are smart in areas where I'm not. I mean, look at those guitars that you have hanging up behind you. I could pretty much bet that uh, that 
that any member that signed that get those any one of those guitars behind you was glad that they had the other members around them to do their jobs too. Otherwise, they would not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, why why can't we? And and it was a uh, you know the former gentleman Welsh that had run GE had once said, everybody's talking about strategy in business right now. He said, my strategy was this, put the right person in the right position and get out of their way. There's some truth to that. And, and you mentioned a little bit earlier about how, you know, they're coming into the firehouse with some talent or some skills or some ability or things that they, or, or ambition level, whatever it is. Listen, I look at it this way. If a person's achieved success outside or is achieving success outside the fire department, then I know they have, you know, they have something that they can do that they can contribute. I want to find out how we can channel that because how you do anything is pretty much how you do everything. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for the most part. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about, um, core value. And, you know, you, one thing I read in your class, I just want to read this is a, a core value of our house is faith in each other. I like that. One of the things that that I talk about in my classes is the strength of your team can be measured by your level of loyalty towards each other. Now we can argue with each other, we can disagree with each other, we could fight with each other sometimes, and sometimes in families that happens. If it happens in families, we're a family at the fire station too. And hopefully whatever anybody does that's listened to this podcast, whether they're in the fire service or not, they feel like they're in a family environment. If not, this is what this podcast right here is about, is trying to create that. But the strength of your team could be measured by your level of loyalty towards each other. How important do you think loyalty is as one of the core values? Oh, gosh. I mean, if it's not at the very top, it's sniffing at it. Um, loyalty gets to trust. And without trust, you're not going to get anything done. If the members of your firehouse, if you don't trust each other, really hard to get things done, at least anything of substance and anything that's lasting and meaningful and loyalty is going to go a long way to that and you know loyalty you know it's an interesting concept because loyalty can have negative connotations you know you can be so loyal to a group of people that are doing wrong that you don't tell them they're doing wrong and that's that's obviously not the mm. right thing to do so i think loyalty involves a couple things and we talk about it when we talk about core values of the house um, I think part of loyalty is you speak the truth to each other about what you're doing. Courageous communication. About how yeah. How, yeah. However, however you categorize it, however you describe mm -hmm. it, the majority of us know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. We have a pretty good sense. We have a pretty good compass of this is in line with what the department approves of. This is in line with if the cameras were running now, we wouldn't worry about it being broadcast. If, if there was a group of cell phones filming us, cutting this car open, they wouldn't be going, what a bunch of clod kickers. I mean, good grief. When's the last time they touched a tool? Um, any of those things that are going on that are subpar, whether it's how you treat each other, how you're fulfilling the mission, you know, how you're uh, meeting the expectations of your supervisor, um, how you're delivering service to the subordinates, and how you're behaving in the firehouse and taking care of each other. When that stuff starts to fade, part of loyalty and part of our core values is to take each other inside and say, that's not what we do here in a good house. That is not the way we behave and it's not the way we perform. And your actions reflect on every one of us. When a member of the Seattle Fire Department screws up and they do some of the terrible things that have happened to our department in the last 10, 15, 20 years, and it gets on the front page of the paper, 
Nobody cares about that guy's name. What they feature and what they put on the front page is a picture with our patch, our badge, Seattle Fire Department, and it puts a taint and stain on every one of us. In a smaller sense, that's exactly what happens in the firehouse when you abandon our values, when you abandon the things that we hold true and you know, violate the trust of the members or violate the trust of the citizens. It's a reflection on Ladder 5, on Station 31, and on this team. We have to be able to tell each other the truth. You know what? In the same breath, though, I think loyalty also comes with the mandate that you assume the best of each other. You give each other the benefit of the doubt until it's proven that what you're doing is wrong. I always give my members the benefit of the doubt. I, I remember when I did a, a promotional exam, Frank, I thought I was going to fail. Because, <laughs> you know, you're, you know how a promotional exam, you're just supposed to go down the checklist, you know, and check mm-hmm. the boxes and yeah. Dominus Omis, you're a, you know, you're a leader, you're a boss. Uh, I started out my personnel problem. And I said, well, before I tell you the things that I would do, it's important for me to tell you that my overarching philosophy is that none of my men and women get up in the morning, come to work with the determination to do bad things. They don't want to mess up. They don't want to screw up. They don't want to be terrible. They don't want to violate their character. They don't want to do those things. And so whenever something goes off the rails, I force myself mentally to start with that as my opening thought about them. This is somebody I love, I care about, they're part of my team, and I want to get to what's real. But they didn't show up intending to screw up. And then we deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't know how that was going to play, to be candid with you. I did all right. I got a job, so it worked out good. I can tell you that every one of the members of that panel, they were chief officers. They were flesh and blood people. You know, they're just... They're just men and women across the table trying to get the best they can for Seattle. That was their goal. Every one of them put down their pen. They stopped looking at the checklist. And when they heard, and I, and I think, you know, it was coming authentically from my heart because I believe that. That is, that's the truth. That's not some phony makeup deal. That's how I feel. Every one of them put their pen down and they stopped looking at the checklist and they looked at me. And I think it was for that little thing. I, I'm sure I hit some of the check boxes. You know, I'm no rocket scientist, so I don't ever hit all of the check boxes. Hmm. I can't remember, you know, the 10, the 10 step process all for, right. you know, how to establish trust. But, you know, I, I do my best and say what I, what I think I would do in the real world. I think that's what carried the day for me is every one of them put down their pens, nodded, and then picked it up and went back to their task. Um, so that's how I would encourage you. However you feel, you've got to be authentic. If you don't believe that way, don't try it because it'll come out phony. But you got to figure out how it is that you feel about you people. Uh, that's the way I feel about them. And I try really hard when they get jammed up to give them the benefit of the doubt from the outset. And then we deal with the problem. I think that's fantastic. Listen, firefighting, greatest job on earth. Do you agree? Oh, we, we won the lottery, bro. I, I mean, know. come on. Now, now, he, <laughs> now here, here's something interesting because here's uh, where I want to go with this. In most polls in America... We are ranked very high in career satisfaction, and many polls number one. A lot of stress comes with the job. Uh, you and yeah. I know that, but we're ranked number one in career satisfaction in many polls in America. Yet I never met a group of people that whine and complain more than a group of firefighters if it's not addressed. Would you agree with me in saying that even if you, and this is for the people that are listening that are trying to create the right environment, even if you do everything right, you take your advice, you take my advice, and, and, and you're implementing things, and you're implementing other people's ideas, you're still going to have some people that don't want to be in a house that rocks. Do you agree with that? Absolutely true. Yeah, and if, if 
you know, if you if you don't run into those people, the rest of us hate you because we all have run into them and have them. OK, so, yeah, um, yeah uh, you know, uh, let me think the way the way I try to think about this. Um, so I know that there will be there'll be firefighters and other leaders that will be listening to you and me and they'll go, oh, well, this is what a great bunch of Pollyanna pie in the sky poppycock this is, you know. You come to my firehouse and bring that, that Mamby Pamby Seattle nonsense in, and we'll see how that flies. Uh, I I can assure you, every place I've been, uh, there there are some that I'll grant you are worse than others and much more toxic. There's pro- there are some I agree, but I think the majority of the firehouses and the people that will be listening to this, you roughly have the same types of personalities, the same collections of strengths and weaknesses that we have. Uh, my firehouse is not a perfect place. Uh, I certainly am not a perfect leader. Um, we're not striving for perfection. That be candid with you. Uh, we don't talk about perfection. I, I think you screw yourself up when you start to to get to this thing where you're nailing everything at once and you get stressed out and you get freaked yeah. out and yeah. it's impossible. Hey, man, we're trying to kick butt. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, when when we talk about the five things that we emphasize, you know, we we talked about these areas that you focus on. We talk about individual responsibility and house pride. You're responsible for you. You're responsible for your job. Nobody else is. There will be people along the way to help you, but you are responsible for for your actions, what you do, what you say, and what happens to you, and how you react to the things, good and bad, and you have a steadfast pride in your house. You may want to get to some other place, and that's righteous. I'm not saying you got to stay where you are. I think people should expand and, and and do the stuff they want to do. But you're here now and you got assigned to this place and it's your role to establish in this place a pride that when we roll out, people know who we are and know know that we do a good job. And I, you know, but typically when we talk about that stuff, I mean that's where we get into things like my enemy is not is fire. Mm-hmm. You know, that the stuff that the, the enemy is the stuff that's trying to kill you. That's right. the enemy. It, it is not other firefighters or other firehouses or other fire districts. Then we talk about trust. Then we talk about teamwork. We talk about training, you know, those those big four. And then at the very end of it, Frank, and it goes to what you're talking about right now, all this serious stuff. You you and look at here's how it works. I don't know if you can see, but you know, this is my this is my non-technical way of describing this. You get a good compelling vision and you weave together individual responsibility and house pride with trust, with teamwork, with hard training. You're starting to put something together that has connections and it and it strengthens itself. And and if you have this, if you're working on this, when you have a bad day, it's a bad day. That's all it is. Because you trust each other, mm-hmm. because you're a team. One guy has a bad day, the other guys pick him up. You have a bad run, that's cool. You know, we had a bad run, that sucks. We hated that, but we're gonna train to make sure it never happens again. And it's strong. You start peeling that stuff off. You start peeling trust and teamwork off. You have a bad day, it blows up the works. And now now all of a sudden you're in one of those toxic firehouses. The final thing that we finish with, the fifth thing, is have fun. Have fun. You know, by all that's holy, yeah, by all that's holy, man, you said it. We have the greatest job in the world. Have a blast. Enjoy each other. Celebrate the fact that you've won the lottery. Uh, Be excited about the fact that you get to go on incredible rides that people can't pay to go on some of the things you've seen. Frank, the places you've been, the things you've been able to do, the impact that you've been able to have on men and women's lives who could not help themselves, you can't pay to do that. 
and we get paid to go on those rides and as a as a group of fallible imperfect sweaty flesh and blood men and women we get to go on those rides and have a tremendous impact you should be having the time of your life uh, best job in the world don't screw it up man don't I, screw it up i have to tell you i don't even think there's a better way to end the podcast than with what you just said i agree with you and i think it's wonderful mike how can people get a hold of you if they want to uh, well, uh, you can get my email, mikeyj at aol.com, m-i-k-e-y-j-a-y at aol.com. And spare me the grief about it being an AOL account. I know I, I've had it for a long time. <laughs> I got a tech Dugan, guy here that gets the same grief. I got a tech guy here that's <laughs> laughing hysterically right now. Yeah, I didn't even well, know, you know AOL still had email addresses. <laughs> yeah, Dugan and I had our AOL accounts from a long time ago, and we're not that smart to you know change it out. We remember them. So, yeah, so MikeyJ at AOL.com. Um, you can get me on Facebook. If you look on there, you probably can find me on there. Um, you certainly can get me through Frank or through this podcast if there's anything you want to talk about or or that type of thing. Glad, glad to. We're always glad to help out. And and uh, Mike Dugan from FDNY, uh, we developed this class together. Uh, it's our class. Uh, certainly, you can also reach out to him um, at Dugan Fire, D-U-G-A-N-F-I-R-E at AOL.com. Um, and, you know, he, he'd be glad to help you out as well. Mike Galliano, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you in a few months down in April down at, uh, in uh, Indianapolis again. Yeah, man, brother, you're you're doing great work. Everything you do, you know, it, it comes from a good heart, and it's obvious by how you're going about your business. And uh, I'm I'm very grateful to have you as a friend. I really oh, am. So I feel that way too. Rock you know, on. Thank you very much. You take care. All right. God bless, brother. You too. 